For this particular podcast, we've been working with an award-winning investigative journalist from Northeast Arkansas who's been working on this case since 2009. I'd also like to make a quick correction. At one point in the podcast, we used the term Medicare when it should have been Medicaid. So I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. It is Medicaid, not Medicare. Thank you, and let's get this party started. The White House announced that President Trump had commuted the prison sentence of Ted Sewell, a former operator of a behavioral health company in Arkansas. When when Teddy choked me, I called him and Sheila in the mall as well. Teddy had a way of talking down to us and being very disrespectful. They just tackled this dude. And like he hits his head on the concrete and, and like busted, he's bleeding a little bit. He's like, dude, like why would they do that to me? And I was like, dude, I don't like I'm just like shell shocked, you know. I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so when I started telling him I knew about him and Sheila and he was sneaking around all that, he comes around the car and pushes me up against a pole up under the car porch and chokes me. And when he does that, I kick him in his thing and we're fighting at that point convicted on bribery and fraudulent charges in July of 2016. The White House said Trump's decision to commute Sewell's sentence was influenced by former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and former U.S. Attorney Bud Cummins. And uh, he pretty much grabbed the kid out of the chair, uh, jumped on him, grabbed him out of the chair, knocked him to the floor, and desks went everywhere. They ended up under the teacher's desk and I heard, which was about like eight, ten feet away, and I heard what I thought at the time was probably a pencil snap, but it turned out to be the kid's arm. I do know that it was made out to be the kid's fault. See, I had to, I had to write up a report also of what happened, but when they read my report, they asked me to change it. Charlie warned us not to talk to anybody about anything at the ranch and to say everything was good because Ricky would be taken back to his drug-addicted mother and would probably die. I got called up to the office to be on a phone call with somebody. I, I don't remember the guy's name. And they were asking us questions about it. <clears throat> well, when I... They had a copy of my report about what happened there. It wasn't my report. It was a typewritten report, not the handwritten one I had. My, it, it had my signature on it. Yes, they had copied my signature. It was a photocopy. The whole thing was a photocopy of it. Uh, well, it's good to finally hear your voice. Uh, how's everything going? Oh, yeah, I know that feeling all too well. This came at such a, at a time that I was crazy busy, but it's not anything I would, you know, not do because I've worked for years trying to get to the bottom of this mess. Yeah, yeah, we just, uh, you know, I was there, so I went there in 2004, 2005. I believe I left in February of 2005. 
And Sammy got there like four months after I did. So we more or less had the same, um, I guess, crew to deal with. Yeah, I mean, other than the fact that she was on the girl's side and I was on the guy's side. Um, But, you know, similar situations. Anyways, the way I found Sammy was um, I was on Facebook and I just... For some, I, I, I don't know. I think about the Lord's Ranch sometimes. So I searched something about the Lord's Ranch, and I saw survivors of the Lord's Ranch, and I was like, what is this? So I click on it. I see that there has been no activity on it for two years, and there are 10 people that are in the group. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, this probably, I'm like, this group's probably dead. But I decided to join anyways. As soon as I do, CME gets right to me. And we start talking, and uh, and then she started telling me stuff that like I that I was completely clueless about. There was so there are so many things that I just didn't know. the The biggest thing for me when I first started this was that there was physical abuse, and I felt like they shouldn't be able to get away with that, and that that wasn't they illegally used corporal punishment. Um, but then as I began talking to Sammy and doing interviews with people, I learned that it goes a lot deeper than that. Uh, Sammy, how did you get involved? See, I did, did know about the corporal punishment. Go ahead. I wasn't aware of the sexual until a couple years ago. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the sexual until a couple months ago. Like that's, that was all. Uh, I, I, go ahead. I suspected it because there were girls that got special treatment, it almost seemed like. But I, I never witnessed uh-huh. anything that I'm like, yeah, that's going on. Yes. Okay. So I'll explain to you how I came about this and what my side uh, as a journalist was. Okay. Because actually I had no idea all of this stuff was part of what I was fixing to stumble into. Yeah, I was wondering how you came across uh, this about- case and what got you started. Well. Actually, what happened was they were closing. I think I might have mentioned this last night. The Wilford School campus, which is in close proximity to uh, where the Lord's Ranch is based, had just completed uh, a half million dollars in repairs to their school district. At the time, Huckabee was the governor. And so they weren't on a list like some other schools were, you know, for in danger of closing. So I was really kind of surprised when they said, well, you know, we may close. After they did the $5,000 repairs to the school, I was confident they were staying open. It was one of my districts I covered regularly on school board and so forth. So at this time, I became friends with Linda Collins, uh, who was Linda Collins-Smith at the time. She was a state representative at that time. It was before she became a senator. Okay. Uh, She's from the area. She's from Pocahontas. Uh, We became fast friends whenever we found out they were still trying to close the school. At the same time, I just have a mind that works different than most people. I think if you're closing a campus after spending a half million dollars, something's up, you know? And so I start looking into stuff, and I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? Well, they had consolidated uh, a few years prior to all of this with uh, Oak Ridge Central School District, which the campus of Oak Ridge Central borders the property the Lord's Ranch is on. It butts up to it. Okay. So I got I got to dig in and trying to figure out what in the heck is going on. Something, something has to do with education. It has to be 
because there's so many more schools in Arkansas who are in worse financial distress or, you know, academic distress than Williford. So I got to look in and I find out that there's this, uh, there's a private school out there. I had no idea. I'm searching all these schools through the Department of Education. And I find the school, and I can't remember what the name was, but it was an inconspicuous name, but it was the one housed on the Lord's Ranch campus. Yeah, that was the Lord's Ranch School. They're registered as a separate entity than the actual Lord's Ranch. Yes, but this time they were they had the Lord's Ranch name. So, so through the Department of Education, I knew that as a journalist, I could access some things, but that you know the records of who I'm like, who's there? You know, I've never heard of this before. It's in our backyard. It was only then that I discovered by getting land records where the school butted up to, and I got to looking at state news. The state news at the time was that there was this huge Medicaid fraud uh, scheme going on, and so I got to looking at where all these Medicaid payments were going. And it was to the, I think it was Trinity then. It changed names yeah. three or four times. Mm-hmm. But this money, Huckabee was basically letting this money go through to, to Trinity for Medicaid. And so through ADE, Arkansas Department of Education, I obtained records of students who were there, like, Who's here? I want to know who you are, where you're from, why are you here, you know, what are the conditions? That was my goal. It was a goal I never accomplished other than a roster of kids that were from all over the United States coming to the central location in the boondocks of Arkansas. Why? You know, as a journalist, I want to know why they're here. You know, what's up? It's weird. So I got to deep and deeper and deeper and finding out that the majority of these adolescents were brought here because they were court-ordered here for some kind of a juvenile program. A lot of them were inner city. I didn't, I never found ones from, out from Alaska. I did find ones that were from Illinois, uh, Chicago inner city, Detroit, uh, the upper Midwest, like in maybe, uh, I want to say maybe like Dodge City, Kansas. But the, what I was able to get was where the students were from. What year did you so start like, doing? Maybe, what's, what year did you start doing this? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was maybe in oh four, oh three, or oh four. Oh, okay. Maybe oh five. Even one of those years, because it was right after I started working. And I'm naive, but yet I'm just like I said, I'm stubborn little shit, and I was gonna figure out what was going on. Yeah. So you know, I'm like, oh, I can do this. No, I could not get juvenile records. So I, I knew there was something going on. So I thought to myself, oh, I'm just going to head on out there and, you know, say I'm the media. They're going to let me in. Being very naive, I got through the gate and got up to the buildings and was met by someone as I went to come in and said, you're not allowed here. You need to leave. Uh, this is a private facility. It's a healthcare facility. You can't be here. And I couldn't talk to anyone. And I was like, well, who can I contact to get permission? We don't grant interviews. I mean, it was just crazy. It was like they did not want me there. No mistake. Right. So I, that's not enough to deter me because it makes me want to dig deeper because of it. Absolutely. So I start looking up the Lord's Ranch, looking up all the information, the owners, and of course I find the obvious things. And then I start looking at different things with Huckabee's connection. Sexual picture of his airplane is on the ground there more than once. Like, flew there somewhere and landed and was there. There's pictures of it. I'm like, what the heck? His own personal plane? Yes, with, his, with the Arkansas thing on the back. I have the picture somewhere. 
Similar to what Randy Barber might eventually become. That's what they're projecting. So, so, Alaska did operate differently as far as sending kids there. Alaska kids were never through a court system. They were solely parent-ordered psychiatric placements. Um, So Alaska children wouldn't have gone through the judge. They were directly referred from a hospital in Alaska to the facility. Okay. Now, those were given on records at the time. You are now adults. Do you have access to those? The ranch wouldn't let me have my records after I left. Um, I tried for years, and they would always have an excuse why I couldn't get them, couldn't get them. And then when I finally got up the courage and understood the system enough to demand them, they told me they had been destroyed because it had been longer than the seven years allotted by uh, HIPAA privacy yeah. laws. Yes, I, I so totally. They destroyed everything. So this this thing we're, we're right now with the courts, you know. So I've, I've developed the hypothesis at this point that these judges are rubber stamping this. They're getting some kind of kickback at the state level from getting these kids in there and allowing the facility to to get this money. Are you with me? Yep. Yes. 
So this is when I start looking at the actual judges individually that are the ones that are responsible for this. And one name comes up time and time and time again. Judge Phil Smith. This is so strange to me because me and his wife are very good friends. And I just have a, the first time I met him, I had a hair stand up in my arms and I told her, I said, I said, it's not against you or anything. I said, but your husband just, it, it, he just weirds me out. I just had a bad, bad feeling about it. So a couple years later, I kept digging and finding all this stuff. So I called Linda and she and, and Mr. Smith were going fixing to go through a divorce. She was running for state senate, so she didn't want to file because it would look bad, you know, while she was running. She wanted to play happily married until she got the senate seat. Sure. Well, we would, she would come to town and come to my office with bruises all over her. Like her arms would be bruised. She'd be just disleveled and like she was on something. I mean, to be, she wasn't the same woman. And so I, I got like a bitch, she's losing her mind. One day she confided in me and she said, I think it feels it's losing me. And I said, uh, Linda, I said, I want to talk to you about something. I've tried to talk to you in the past about this and you have said I was wrong. I said, I really truly believe that Phil's involved with the Lord's Ranch. And I believe that Phil is getting these kids in there, but I also believe that he is a pedophile. I said, I've had people from Pocahontas who are friends of mine who have said that he has just got some really bad tendencies. And she's like, no, that it can't be that. It, no, it can't be that. You know, she's in a campaign mode and wanting to get elected. So walk on a couple of years, she gets elected. And she comes to me again and she said, I need to meet with you. This was, in 2000, she got, she died in she died in 19. It was about 2016 or 17. Yeah, I actually so she said I don't want to meet. Well, it was it was a mighty year or so before she died, and she was still going through her divorce, but it was really really nasty. So she and I met in Batesville, Arkansas, at a gas station, and we sat in the back. And she said, "I believe what you're saying. Uh, I, I believe it now." And I said, "I want to know what changed your mind." She said, well, you know that in my divorce, she said, I got Phil kicked off the bench because of what happened. And I was like, well, I just know that he had some content on his computer and was at the court one day at like 9 o'clock at the courthouse. The clerks came in Randolph County and caught him on the computer viewing porn. And she said, it's child porn. And I said, I told you. I said, I just, I said, I know. And she said, I'm really on to something, but I'll be up. I actually saw something about that yeah, so online, she, and but it wasn't a reputable source, so I didn't use it. No, it's it's true. The clerk, I will tell you that, uh, as far as telling me personally, no, but the clerk that works there told a very dear friend of mine, she was the one that walked in and caught him on the computer, and they took the computer because he had the form. He lost his ability to be an attorney. No, excuse me. Uh, ability to be a judge at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, went through court. He could no longer be a judge for the rest of his life. But they're still going through wow. divorce, this whole uh-huh. divorce process. And so Linda comes in to like different events. And when she comes in, I mean, I she's like totally this level. This was a woman who was immaculately kept. Uh, nails were always done. Lipstick on, perfect hair, you know, makeup. She looked like she had been out on the town three nights drunk in a row when she came into these events. It wasn't her. Mm-hmm. It was not Miss Linda. She's not like that. And so I got really, I mean, she just got really weird. Like she was terrified all the time. She, everywhere she went, she was scared. And so she went to a Republican, um, a Shark County Republican meeting. And we were there and she 
she had bruises on her, and she was like struggling to walk like her ankle was hurting. And she said, Bill threw me down the stairs. And I said, Oh my God, you've got to get this divorce final. But it was a big money, it was a big money deal, you know. They had a hotel. And so, um, anyway, the last time we spoke was when she had told, when I had told her about that, and she believed it. And she said, I, I said, You've got to get out, Wendy, you've got to get out. And when I mentioned the Lord's Ranch, she told me then, she said, I think you're right. That's the last conversation we had. Do I think Phil killed her? No. When? I think Phil had the woman who that's... I think he had the woman who killed her, who was a campaign aide, do it, and he was going to pay her off because he knew stuff on her. And then because he's an attorney, he bought land that was in uh, Belize, which is a non-extradition country. Right. And he moved there shortly after. The night that she was killed, he was in a meeting in Hardy, Arkansas. He was the city attorney at that point. He couldn't be a judge, but he was the city attorney. And the police officer went and told him. His face just remained calm. I said, did, did it scare him? He said, no. He said, he just looked calm and said, okay. Um, didn't bother, didn't get upset. It was very, very, very bizarre. And so, you know, then we got into all the stuff with the woman who killed her. And, you know, like I said, I mean, that's irrelevant. But I do believe, my point is, the judges have been doing this for several years and putting these kids here, when you do the connections to BB and how high up they go, you see they go all the way up to the top. Right. I mean, I they a, go to the they go to Epstein, they go, I mean, I know that sounds like such a weird, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm a realist. I, I agree, but there's, there, there, I mean, there is, I mean, I made a timeline that ties in with Epstein and the murders and everything else. And it does yeah. make you wonder. Now I wanted to know, do, so she was located. Her body was found on June 4th, 2019. And the police believe she was killed on Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. Uh, yeah. What I, when was the last, do you remember how long it had been since the last time? I you can send you all the articles I've, yeah, it was probably a, it was probably the, maybe the fall before. It was cooler weather. The only reason I remember that is because we were sitting in the gas station and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm burning up because it was so hot in there and I had a sweater on. So several months, but not quite a year or anything like that. No, I don't know. I don't think that it was a year. It, I'm pretty sure it was like the fall prior to her getting killed. Okay. So maybe October and I mean, like I said, like there's that. other witnesses. But, yeah, and there's other witnesses besides myself who've seen her at the Republican meeting. And I mean, she told one of my friends the same thing she told me. Uh, told her, yeah, he threw me down the stairs. I mean, we've seen bruises on her more than once. And so it was just so odd to me that he had bought this property. And I, I was trying to find the land transactions to see when he bought the property, but. Why would he buy property in a non-extradition country before his wife was even killed? Yeah, that's extreme. I think that what he did was he knew he knew this campaign aide had been embezzling money from her, and he was going to use her to get rid of her because they knew he would be suspected because of the abuse. Had her do it and planned to pay her off. I mean, when she was in prison, and I'll send you the stories. Uh, you can see while she was in prison, she also tried to get someone to kill him, Mister Mister Smith his new wife as well as the prosecutor and the judge in the case because they sealed the case. I've been trying to get through to talk to her 
Because I feel like she has more to say, the actual woman who was convicted of killing her. I feel like she has a lot. I think she knows a lot. I would believe she does too. And, they, and everybody who knew her said that she wasn't capable of such. I mean, there was, there was these people that they were speaking about her and they just, they were, they were so stunned. I mean, she was literally on her way to the funeral when she was arrested. And it, but the video, the videos, and I do have a video too. Of? Of her pulling a knife out of her purse. She right. definitely, she definitely had to have done. Right. Unless yeah, they I, could I, doctor the video. I, I mean, I did. I saw that video. Yeah, it, it's on or or a video online. It might not have been the same one, but I did see something with her on the knife because she was taking down. I think they were like the Arlo cameras uh, that they had set up around yes, the house. Yeah, and she missed. No, they're on cloud, and she wasn't aware. No, I was curious. I, I just think that's really. I was curious. I think she knew day, a lot about that. The day afterwards, on June 5th, 2019, so literally the day after they found her body, they found uh, they found Jonathan Nichols uh, shot and, and a supposed suicide. But the reports, I read a report that said an unnamed law enforcement officer said that the gun was on a table across the room. I don't know if they checked his hands yeah. for any gun gun residue, but another thing that um, I saw that was, have, but... was that Linda had uh, she had been on a multi state trip before she had been killed, and one of the states she went yeah. to was Oklahoma. Yes, and Arizona. In fact, her daughter thought that's where she was still at. That's why she wasn't really concerned because she did these trips. Right. Do, did she have any connections with Jonathan Nichols? I mean, they are both GOP uh, state senators. So, uh, is it is it possible that they were? That's the thing. She never she never mentioned it to me. The things that I knew that she was working on, for the most part, uh, she really truly believed there was sex trafficking, and she was definitely on to that. But she was having to do it so uh, covertly because she didn't know who she could trust. Right. And I mean, I feel like at times that she was out there so much because I really do believe he, let me go back to where she said he was drugging her, her hair was coming out. And, and like, she, I'm not kidding when I say she was a totally different person, behavior, uh, appearance, everything. And she said, I think he's, I think he's poisoning me. And so she was going to get tested to see what it was. And she went and got tested and her body showed up. I can't remember what it had in it. It was some kind of a, uh, Something in her body that was making her hair fall out, but it wasn't a disease. It wasn't. So they were so talking it, it up like it was introduced. Yeah, it was environmental or something. Oh, yes, I wasn't see. introduced into her body. I see. Okay. So, uh, and we talked about so, that, but but after this point during those months, she just went crazy. Like she was just like paranoid, schizophrenic, didn't want to talk to anybody. Was you know, it was very weird. And she was actually starting to recover. I mean, she went to the point she was like putting this stuff all over her body that looked like mud. Mm-hmm. And she was never done that before. Like, wow, I guess it was like a fake like hand, a, but it was like... like a face mask type you, of thing? Or? You can see the picture. All, yeah, all over her whole body, her arms and everything. And it was like uh, like terracotta colored. And it was obviously, you know, just it wasn't her. I, don't, I just don't understand it. She was such a beautiful, beautiful woman, well-kept until mm-hmm. all this started happening. And, Did she and do you don't this? just... 
in public or did or was this something that she was doing at home? Like was she No, she would wear it out. I'll find the pictures and send them to you. Yeah, well she was trying to make it look like she was tan, but she might miss like three or four spots. And it was like body makeup, but it was like more terracotta color. And it was, you know, it was way over the top, just like everything else. But she might smear some on in one or two places and not the rest. That wasn't Linda. I wonder if that was was to cover up some sort of bruising or something. I know. I wondered that, too. I mean, I don't know. I just know it was so bizarre. And that she had finally come around at the end and believed, you know, there was something going on with Bill and Ward's ranch. And like I said, I've always, always thought that, you know, he was the one rubber stamping all this stuff and getting kickbacks from the uh, from the governor's office for getting all these kids there because they were in, they were in turn also receiving, you know, some type of a, you know, financial motive for doing this because they wouldn't do it for free because they had to have faked so many documents. Right. So there is one thing. Um, when I was there, there were no psychiatric parent-ordered children from Arkansas at the ranch. The only parent-ordered children were from Alaska. And so every Arkansas child that was there was court-ordered. Yeah, that's... That was my experience, too. Yeah. So all the Arkansas kids were court-ordered. Right. So my my thing that I could never get as a journalist, as, as I've said repeatedly, is obviously the juvenile records. You know, what were their ailments? I mean, those are things that are important to see what would warrant this type of funding coming from the state. Right. You know, what were the rubber standards? It's essentially what I wanted to know. Every single kid was diagnosed I mean, with some kind of mental health condition. And yes. they, I strongly suspect they were faking diagnoses that were worse because they got a higher oh. level of reimbursement for more intense diagnoses. And but, there were there were several times that I, I questioned staff and I was basically threatened and told that it would be a shame if I had to tell your doctor you were displaying schizophrenic traits and behaviors. Like, they would say stuff like that to me. Wow. Yeah. And so the whole time you're going through this, you, you're actually having a very real low episode of your, your life. It's one of your low chapters, and this is the time you need the support that you didn't get, and you were victimized instead of help. And that in itself is sickening to me. I mean, I just even if you were never touched, if you were never abused, it, it is still sickening to me. And I just feel like there's something safe. And, I mean, I just I feel like there's, like I said, there's strength in numbers. And, like, this is a local. This is my coverage area. There have to be people here who work there who are willing to say, hey, yeah, I've seen this, but, you know, I had to feed my family, so I just turned my head. You know, I needed to check. Right. Right. Well, there were a lot of people who came there from Hurricane Katrina. People were victims of Hurricane Katrina, and they would end up working at the Lord's Ranch. Yeah, I interviewed a former staff member. And uh, he talked about some of the violence that he saw that was completely unwarranted. And uh, and he actually ended up getting let go by the facility because a kid has spat, had spat on his shoe. And he told the kid, you're going to clean that off my shoe. The kid cleaned it off. He made him do it. And they said that that was threatening 
and he was fired for it. Meanwhile, he had just watched two staff members, Philander Kirk and Gary Jackson, tackle this kid, slam his head into the concrete like it was bleeding. He had to get taken to the nurse. Can you tell me those names again? Philander Kirk. So Philander is, and he's he's passed on since I I was there, but it was a P P H I L A N D E R. N D E R. And then last name K K I R K or K I R K K as in kid. Okay. No, he worked there for decades. Yeah, he actually he passed away, or otherwise he probably would still be there. And I actually have a picture of a of Philander if I, if you want me to send it to you. Um, and, oh yeah. And uh, his wife is still alive, but he died, and so did his son. Um, which was Philander Kirk Jr., I believe, because they called him PK, so I assume uh-huh. the first name was Philander. I don't know that to be tr- factual, but that's always what I assumed. Um, so his wife is still alive, though. Uh, the other guy was oh, wow. Gary Jackson, and Philander and Gary were the two largest staff members there because this kid was kind of big, and the reason they tackled him was because he was crying. And they were trying to goad him into attack. I can send you the recording, but essentially, uh, Philander is telling this kid, "You want to hit me, don't you?" And he's crying. He's like, "No, why would I want to?" Do you actually want to have phone in there and record stuff? Pardon? Do you actually able to have a phone while you're in the facility and get stuff like this? I didn't get anything in in the facility. These are all interviews. I have hours upon hours of interviews from eyewitnesses. So, I've, so what I've been doing is I've been reaching out to staff, I've been reaching out to residents, and vice versa. They've been reaching out to me, and they're, everyone's sharing their story, including staff members. So it's, I mean, it's, and I have several hours. And what was really, what really struck me as odd was um, I spoke with a girl named Deanna Fields, she was one of the Chicago kids. Diana Fields. She worked. She worked, and she would travel for work. And she was at a hotel in Ohio. And this this wasn't this, this was typical that she would stay there. And uh, she ended up dying. Like a, I believe it was a week or two after I spoke with her because she was given some bad uh-huh. drugs. I, I don't know if it was laced with fentanyl or whatever it was, but it struck me as odd because Deanna was the first person to tell me about the child molestation that went on there um, in enough detail mm-hmm. that somebody could have been prosecuted, where I could have brought names forward. Uh, she told me their names, and I, I don't recall them offhand, but I do have it recorded. So that, well, that, that, that thing struck me is- as odd. Very much so. Uh, what I would like to do is to continue working on the investigation into until we can get to where you could file a class action suit against the uh, the entity itself. Uh, I know it's been closed, right? But there are still people who are alive. But the other thing is, I just feel like the, the, the people you all need to be able to tell your story. Uh, we have you watched the, the movie about the uh, the it was in um, Utah, the uh, Amish, or were they Amish? Mormons, excuse me. 
the Mormons. I mean, this is really kind of similar to that, other than the religious aspect of it. Mm-hmm. These people are victimized whenever you're supposed to be getting care. I mean, these things affect you the rest of your life. I mean, you're telling me this now, but in your mind, I know there's you're, you're so troubled and it, it bothers you to recall all these things in your life. You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to live through that. It's just horrible. Where did you watch this? Uh, I assume it's a documentary. So where, where, where did you watch it? Was it, it on a, available on stream? Yes, uh, that's all I do. It was on either Hulu or Netflix. And I'll find the name of it, but you need to watch it. It's about the it's about this leader and like all these people who kind of fall under it and are, they are um, the way to say you ended up getting out of this cult. And that's exactly what it sounds like it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Oh, it was Sammy, why don't you tell her about some of the Pardon marriages me? between some of the staff members and the residents? Yes. So we have found at least four different incidents of girls who were either underage or had just aged out, and then married a staff uh-huh. member. Some of them significantly older. Like there was one girl. Um, she talked to me privately one on one, and I think she got spooked. Um, but Bud Saul had arranged for her to marry a 40-year-old staff member when she was 16. Uh, um, and this was all his idea. And I asked her, I was like, did you love him? Did you want to? And she's like, I wasn't really given an option. No one seemed to ask me what I thought. Um, I, I wasn't part of the decision. And it was, and, and it was Alonzo Giles who married them. So he was the person who stood yep. up front. Alonzo Giles, the guy who would say the sermons. I'm sure you've probably heard his name. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what Arkansas's laws are on this, but in many states, there's actually laws for educators and therapists and counselors and people in these roles with minor children where a relationship yes. or a marriage or anything cannot happen for a certain number of years after the child reaches the age of majority. That we have that law here. Yeah, and it, it's out of power imbalance. It's a very real concern, isn't it? I think my biggest <laughs> issue is that these kids are so brainwashed and manipulated the entire time they're there that by the end they might believe it. Right. I would like for you to both watch this movie. It's a documentary. This is, I mean, it's everything the same, applied the same, except for the religious aspect. And you're there along with you. Thank you, people are there to help you. I'll look, yeah, I'll look it's around it's for it. You see, I, I have Hulu and Netflix, so I can look around for the I documentary. And if you if if you figure out the name, be sure to let us know. And uh, I'll look around for oh, it. I sure will. But uh, yeah, I'd be very interested in here. The girl who the the girl who was sixteen when she married a man in his forties, the staff member, she actually divorced him in two thousand three. They had had children together, and I, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sammy, they didn't wait before marriage to. Uh, no, they did not. Yeah, they didn't wait before marriage before they had sexual intercourse. Of course, they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have this minor who is in a residential treatment facility who is literally being statutory raped by a staff member. And that's it. It's a crime in itself because they are in care of her. 
Like, that's a felony. It's an automatic felony in the state of Arkansas. If someone would have reported it, and it would have been, con- you know, but the county it's in, it's almost like they cover each other's butts. Right. And They're that's exactly the it. The They're facility the celebrates. They celebrate these marriages because, oh, God brought you together. Yeah. And according to her, they ended up getting a divorce because he actually was caught at the ranch with a 15-year-old girl. So it's not that he just had a thing for this girl in particular. It was that he was just a flat-out predator who preferred to go for younger women who were underage and illegal. So there was a religious aspect in this, too, you are saying, then. 100%. Yes, it was a cult. In the truth. It was a cult. Oh, wow. We were forced. So you're going to definitely want to watch this movie. We were forced to go to chapel. We were forced. I, I watched Alonzo Giles speak in tongues. I honestly had never even heard of the term speaking in tongues, so I thought he was having a seizure or a stroke or something when it first happened. Yeah, I was like, I was terrified. I had no idea what was going on. And I'm like, why is nobody helping this man? Call 911. And then suddenly, (laughs) suddenly Rob. And how old were you at this point? I was 14 years old, 14 or 15. And, uh, and then Roderick Shaw, do you have his, do you know his name or do you, I, I can spell his name. Roderick Shaw. The last name is spelled Shy, S-H-Y. Roderick is, I believe, R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K, Roderick. And he's on Facebook. I know that for a fact. He, what was he? Well, he was playing the piano. He was a staff member, so he, he lived at the Ogden house. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, was, he also would play the piano and sing uh, during, uh, you know, whenever we were singing praises and whatnot. That's what his role was for the sermons. But at that point, when Alonzo started speaking in tongues and started speaking in this foreign language, Roderick was the one interpreting it. So Alonzo would say something, and then Roderick would basically translate it to English as if he was bilingual temporarily. Yes. So it was a, it was just really a now that you look back as an adult with the knowledge you you weren't armed with at the time, you see that you know it was just it was basically for people to think, oh my gosh, you know this is real because kids are so naive. The name of that documentary is Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Keep sweet, okay. pray and pobit. Oh, all right, I'm writing that down right now. So yeah, keep sweet, pray and obey. Prior to my admission to the ranch, I had been told that religious activity was optional. Um, At the time I was admitted, I would have considered myself agnostic. Like, I didn't believe there was a God, but I wasn't sure there wasn't, you know? And when I got there, they wanted us to get ready to go to chapel. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go. And they're like, well, you have to. And I just kind of looked at the staff member. I was like, I was told it was optional. And she grabbed me by my arm and she goes, you can close your eyes and pretend you're not there. Now it's optional. And we had church three times a week, chapel three times a week. We had Bible group three to four times a day. And like one of those Bible groups was probably the most traumatic and victim shaming thing I've ever witnessed. We had, it would essentially, they would pick a sin. 
they would pick some kind of sin, and they would find Bible passages that correlated to it, and then they would make us go around in a circle and discuss how we've committed this sin, and basically encourage us to beg Jesus to forgive us and cry in front of a bunch of other girls. Then they would later block oh me with that confession. So the subject that day you was got me What? Oh, man. You've got to God watch this documentary. Everything you're saying happens in this. I will. Yeah, um, but the subject... Wow. The subject that day was premarital sex. And this girl was looking like really anxious and nervous the whole time we're having this thing. And she finally like asked the staff member, she's like, well, what if you didn't want to, and they made you. And this staff member told this girl that it didn't matter. She still participated in sexual activity and she needed to beg for forgiveness. Then they turned around and made all of us go around in a circle and list off different ways that we thought this girl could have prevented being sexually assaulted. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. And I was, I was only so I'm sitting here like, this is not right. This is not right. You had mentioned that there could oh, be yeah. connections to Epstein. Now, this is tenuous, but I, had a, I, I, I did look into this a little bit. And one thing I did find out was Bill Clinton, he let them use his private jet to take a girl yeah. to uh, an emergency meeting in Chicago. So he had some sort of connection with them. That's the only thing I've ever heard about Bill Clinton. But I also looked at where Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested. At the, I, I found the address mm-hmm. where she was arrested, the, uh, the mansion. And I Google mapped it to an, uh, a New Hampshire business that Ted had and was only an hour away mm-hmm. from, this, from this place. I mean, it was just an hour's drive, and that kind of struck me as yeah. I was like, he has business in New Hampshire, and it's that close to. I, I it, it kind of those were the only things that I could really locate, other than stuff that you know I didn't, you know, I would find stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't, well, it wasn't, was very, it wasn't very, a very good source. With, yes, yes, he was very good friends. With well, that Clinton thing. was very, very good friends with Huckabee, so I mean, that's the connection there itself. Oh wow, really? I didn't know it, that. Just, Oh, yeah, yeah. he was our former. Clinton was our former governor here before he was president. Right. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. There, if you look up pictures, if you look up pictures, you can find there will be pictures of them together. Interesting. I was thinking someone said there was even a picture of 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 uh, of walking out my mind. It's been a long day. Of Huckabee uh, on the uh, Lolita Island with someone. I thought they had pictures of him there. On which, is that the name of are you, are you, ta- are you talking about the pedophile yeah. island? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think it's called Lolita Island or something like that. Interesting. You said Huckabee was there? Yeah. Do a Google search on it. Uh, I recall someone sending me a picture. And, you know, like I said, I'm very good with Photoshop and I can usually find a Photoshop picture in a heartbeat. It looked very, very real with the background and everything that I had seen in other photos of the place oh, out there. Wow. It yeah, almost just, makes me want to watch. I watched that Epstein documentary on Netflix. I'm, I, I want to watch I it. I want to watch it again with all of this in mind and see if there's anything that stands out to me as a possibility. 
because I've you know I, I try to do research online. A lot of stuff's just I mean this is something they didn't want to get out, and this is something they wouldn't want to get out if it were to be true. So there's there's only so much Absolutely. you're going to be able to find. But I'm very interested well, in finding out what like- happened. But I mean the FBI raided this place in 2006. They raised it. They raided it in 2012, yeah. and I've interviewed people that were there for each of those. The the interview or yeah, I was there for the. 2006 one they actually questioned every single kid tell her about the witness tampering they were doing before the kids mm-hmm. came in oh they told us that the yes, rooms were bugs really so we were walking from our house down to the school well they would tell us those rooms are bugged all the time because that's where we had our therapy and so they tell us you know they're bugs so we know what you're saying about us we know what you're saying and then when we were walking yeah. down, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know who we were going to meet. They just told us we were going down to the school building. And they told us, just remember, the rooms are bugged. And they had us standing in the hallway, and they were sending us in to talk to these people in suits. And, like, the people would not, like, fully identify themselves. And I'm uh-huh. looking at them, and I asked this woman, I'm like, you're with the FBI, aren't you? Because I just had this feeling. And she just kind of, like, nodded, and she starts asking me all these questions. And the questions were really strange. They were things like, what is a typical day like here? How often do you talk to your family? How often do you see a therapist? Do you like it here? What kind of activities do you do? And they had let us do a, a bunch of activities the week before that, the week or two prior. We had done all sorts of fun stuff. And I remember thinking it was bizarre because we never did anything like that. And then all of a sudden, these people yeah. in suits are interviewing us. They even let the boys and the girls play kickball with each other, supposedly. And normally, you're, you are not yeah. allowed to be around the opposite sex unless it's... We, we couldn't even look. We couldn't even look the direction of opposite sex, or they threatened to keep us for another six months. And Oh, wow. There were some girls that when they proposed, okay, we're going to play kickball against the boys, there were like two or three girls that full-on cried and refused to play because they were convinced it was a trap. They did not want to be trapped in doing anything that would get them stuck there longer because they'd tell you, if you even look at the boys, you're going to be here another six months. But then we weren't encouraged to have age-appropriate relationships with the opposite sex or engage with them on an appropriate level. So then these girls start getting groomed by much older men, and that's the only male attention they get. It's been like that. That's true. Right. Yep. Because that's if you're not unreal. allowed to engage with your peers of the opposite sex, then what happens? This is like tech, especially this is in your especially in your teenage dog. years too. I mean, your sex your sex yeah, you want your sex drive as a teenager. Sure. I mean, that's that's a fir- that's really your first experience with even having a sex drive. And obviously it it's, really it's it, and, and it's completely different than when you're an adult. It's completely different than when you're a toddler. Sure. I mean, it is a time in your life where your sex drive is at its peak essentially. And sure. that's that was the well, situation. You're going to look at a girl, you that's just human nature. Sure. Yep. Okay, so I I can tell you honestly, I am baffled because I had no idea that it was a religious plan until halfway into this conversation. Honestly, had no clue that that was involved. So my there was um, let me back up to there was a, a triple homicide that happened in Dalton, which is a town that's just right by um, the Little Ranch. 
And it was a okay. it was a really bad thing. Killed a little girl. And it was like I don't even remember the year. But the man who works for me is a retired state police investigator. Been friends for years, and he worked the case. He was out at Dalton. They had found the bones in the creek of the little girl, and he found first bones. And so they went to lunch after this day, and there's a little maybe a convenience store type thing in the vicinity of the ranch. And so he went in to get a sandwich. And the lady was serving, she said, are you all, quote, popo? And he said, yeah. He said, we're out here working on this triple homicide, this, this uh, Elliot case, it was the murders. And she said, well, you need to be someone besides that. Those people are already dead. There's some that might be if you don't do your job. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she said, you need to be out there looking into the Lord's Ranch. And there was two men in there who he said, you know, they appeared in to be maybe someone religious, he said, because the way they were dressed and that they were just very out of place for that far out in the country during the summer months when they found the bodies. How old were the the, body. these bodies, and were they male or female? I mean, I know some one, at least one was female. Oh, no, they knew, they knew who the murder was. The murder was actually not associated with that. What it was was it was like a drug deal gone bad, and this man killed this woman and her, uh, her child, and then raped and killed their daughter that was like five and they couldn't find her body for several years. So this is when they found the body. And I want to say maybe it was 2005 or six. But these men in these suits, suits, now mind you, this is is Dalton, Arkansas, you know, you just don't dress like that. They were out of place and they said, you told the lady, and he said, and I quote, you need to keep your damn mouth shut and don't talk about stuff you have no business talking about. And so the lady at the gas station was like, okay, you know, I'll shut up. But he said, I always thought it was weird, but the state police is is just an assisting agency. They cannot be brought in to investigate unless they're requested by another agency. I'm seriously have my nose to the ground about stuff like this, and I hate more than anything in the world people to be mistreated, uh, especially whenever it's children or people who are under who are doing it for money that taxpayers are putting a bill for. Sure. So when a child goes missing, you would assume call the police, right? Absolutely. Well, the ranch did not do that. If we went missing, if, if a kid went missing, they would tell all the other kids that, you know, now we have to go find their body. And I remember being told this multiple times when girls would try to run away. They'd be like, well, we have to go recover the body. We're not going to go look for her. We're going to go find her body. And uh, really? the staff, Ryan, Ryan was saying that they would hide. Yeah, I remember. Actually, uh-huh. Bobby Curtis, I remember the guy we were just talking to recently. I remember he was hiding in the woods uh, and like really late at night and uh, trying to find the kid, uh-huh. these two uh, boys that had ran away. But yeah, he he was a part of it. I don't know who else was a part of it, but they were trying to locate them on their own. I don't think they ever locate. I don't, I, do I don't think, think they ever contacted law enforcement. Do you think they got away, or I mean, do you think they actually got away, or that they were the kids were captured? Or to leave, the kids were I mean, captured. That in, in this instance, and that that's actually something I was wondering too is has have any kids ever run away from that place? And never gone back and just disappeared. Not returned. But from what I've, but from what I was, from what I was told, nobody ever escaped. But I was told by a staff member. I don't know how accurate that is. This place has been around for close to fifty. Had been around close to fifty years. You know. 
Yeah. I've heard a couple stories from other girls who said that, you know, a girl went missing and they just never mentioned her again. And, like, they weren't allowed to talk about her, weren't allowed to say her name. She was just gone. And no one knows what happened to her. Uh, well, that actually makes uh, that makes the message I got recently pretty interesting then. If they, I mean, if they're, let's, let's assume they're hiding bodies on the property. Now, this is a long shot, but um, I, I had mentioned sure, it to but you have to every option. Right. You, you, you look at it. And, and, so this guy contacted me and said he was, it was him and his buddy. They were hunters and they were down, they were down by Old Burr by the Lord's Ranch. And they said there was, uh, there was two of those white 15-passenger vans and a trail car that would drive down the dirt road. And they would show up around midnight, and they would re- leave around 5 a.m. And instead of heading the easy way to get off of Old Burr and uh, go to the pavement, they would take a different route, which he thought was odd. It was almost as if a trail car wow. was going into an area that you couldn't get a van to fit in. And picking up some sort of hidden whatever, you know, boxes of evidence or what have you, yeah. and then loading it into these vans. And it obviously had to be a lot of whatever it was because they're using those vans. Sure. Uh, and then there was two of them. Now, they could be going in two different places, or they may have just needed two, sure. spa- two, two vans for that amount of space. So that that struck me as odd. Wow. And he said it happened three nights in a row. The first night it happened, though, Christmas. It was it was it, it seemed wow. it seemed as if it was intentional that nobody would be out, everybody would be at home because the hours were bizarre, the date was bizarre, and yeah, like I said, it was two years ago that this <laughs> happened. And uh, he didn't. He didn't hunt last year, so he doesn't know if it continued. But um, that certainly struck me as odd. Very odd. Yeah, I mean, who owns the facility now? Do you know? Uh, offhand, I assumed Ted owns it still. Ted or uh, or his wife, but I don't know offhand that he might have given somebody else the property. I, I don't. I don't know, and. I know that they was Ted I, ever on on site? Yes. I would see him and Bud. They would stand like there's a road, which side note, this makes me absolutely repulsed based on the uh allegations of sexual abuse against Ted. The name of the road uh-huh. that the girls' houses are on is Ted's Trail. Really? Um yeah. I hey. recently discovered that when I pulled it up on Google's maps. I never knew there was a name for that road. But when I pulled it up, it said Ted's Trail, and I just wanted to park. Um, oh, I'm sure. But Bud and Ted, I would see them. They would lean up on the fence and just watch all of the girls walk down the road into the school. And they never said anything. They just stared at us. Wow. And it wasn't all the time. Yeah, do you it, was, think- it was pretty often. Oh. Do you know if any of the if there was like another location perhaps on the camp? I call it a campus because there's several buildings, obviously. Sure. On the campus of which certain girls would be would be allowed to go and others not. 
Um, they did have another house that they called the cottage, and it was somewhere past the dining room and office. And that was used for level one. So if you were in a lot of trouble. And with level one for the girls, I can't speak for the boys, but for the girls, you would have to wear a black sweatshirt, black sweatpants. You weren't allowed to go to school. You had to do your homework in the house that you were in. And you would get crap for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You'd get, like, hot dogs for lunch and dinner and oatmeal for breakfast. And so it was like a hierarchy? Well, level one was only if you were in trouble, like deep trouble. And okay. but they, the punishment was that you couldn't use your vocal cords. Um, they would give you a legal pad, and if you wanted to go to the bathroom, you had to write, can I go to the bathroom, on that legal pad and show it to the staff members. And you were there for, like, three to four weeks minimum. Wow. And girls would come back from this, like, totally hoarse, like, barely able to talk because they haven't spoken in so long. Wow. Yeah. They're just mind-boggling. I actually spoke to I a I don't know what it was like for the boys. I spoke to a girl who was there in the 90s, and they weren't even allowed to close the bathroom door when they went to the restroom. They couldn't close any doors wow. in that house. Now, as far as level one for the boys, I went there once, and it was for something that I did not do. I still maintain it. I think that they would they uh -huh. intentionally framed me, and I was actually told that by a, a newer staff member and a newer teacher when I got out of level one. But I was there from three to four weeks, and you sit, you face the wall. They have those windows that are like, you know, you, you can't kick out the windows like plexiglass or something. And they have those uh -huh. dead bolts on the doors and everything. They take your shoes. and, and But, yeah, I mean, I was sent there, and it was we didn't have to wear any black, like what you were describing, Sammy. They didn't, they didn't choose what we wore. But I do remember we did – I do – after you said that, that, that actually – it occurred to me that we did have to write stuff down because we were supposed to be silent. Wow. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was a way to pay penance to the Lord for our misactions, our our misgivings. Like a penance. So yep. And here's how. Now let's create how we got sent to level one. It was me and I believe it was four or five other boys. And what happened was we were confronted. We're wearing. We're, we thought we were going from the van to the school. So all we had were t-shirts on and jeans. Well, this is a cold time of year when this happens. Tyree Davis calls us over. He's the guy who played for like the Buccaneers, Seattle Seahawks as a wide receiver. He, what was his name? Tyree, Tyree Davis. Yes. And I have pictures of him on my page as the worst staff member that was there, in my in a, my own personal opinion. I believe he was a legitimate sociopath. And Oh wow. And he calls us over and he tells us to wait, and we had no idea what was going on. Well, we were accused of hitting on the Spanish teacher, all of us. Like as if we, in one like large group, just started hitting on her or something. And 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 I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but they all they all denied it. I denied it because I know I didn't do it. I was in their class, and I never saw it. We have to stand. When you say hitting, you mean like. You don't mean like physically. You not mean physically. Like, I mean flirting. Like flirting with flirting. Them. Flirting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To be That's clear. That's what I thought you meant. I, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, so, but but uh, we had to stand there with our hands behind our backs, 
And Tyree is bundled up as can be. He's got his beanie on. He's got his nice warm coat. We're in t-shirts and jeans. We're all shivering. I, I did have a beanie on my head, uh, but that was the only thing that would help me keep okay. warm. Tyree is mocking us. And the way that he's doing it is he's holding a science textbook. And he's reading to us. Pardon? He's holding what? I missed that word. He was holding a science textbook. Okay, science textbook. Okay. And he's reading why the human body shivers. It's a way to, you know, like create friction and to warm the body up or something along those lines. And he's like, oh, it says here this. And he's acting. You know, just talking to us, and we have to just stand there in silence while he's talking to us about this. And I told Tyree, wow. I said, Tyree, I swear on my dad's grave, I did not do this. And he said, Leave your dad out of this. And I said, Well, you need to leave me out of this because yeah. I didn't do anything. And then that's when he let out this laugh, and it wasn't like a jovial laugh. It was like one of those laughs where it was a, it was like an angry laugh where like. You felt like at any second he could deck you in the face. So I shut my mouth immediately yeah. after that, and I didn't say anything else until Philander showed up. Philander informed all of us we were getting sent to level one for these accusations. And I sighed because I was disappointed because I hadn't done anything. And I had never, sure. I had never been to level one. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what to expect, but I sighed. Philander got upset at me for sighing. He comes at me, bites his bottom lip, and he's like, he yells, boy, and he gets within, he gets in with like an inch of my face, and this guy is, this is a big guy, and he snatched the beanie off my head, and he looked like he just wanted to beat me to a pulp, but he restrained himself, and I just stood there with my hands behind my back and waited, just waited to see what was going to happen. So it was basically a fear tactic. It was a scare yeah. tactic, but... They definitely, I mean, they were the type of people to hurt people. I was also told by a girl who was. I guess the there to begin with. Pardon? My question is why was this football star there to begin with? Oh, yeah, I know. I always That always struck me as odd. Why was he there? That seems bizarre. Anytime I try to tell people about this place, it was so hard to convince them that it was real. But. Tyree was related to some of, I believe he was related to Philander and Alonzo. Um, I don't know who all he was related to, but I think they were like half brothers or something. But anyways, that's that, and that's how he ended up working there. And he would actually live in one of the houses there. Oh, wow. They provided housing for a lot of their staff. And to be yeah. clear, he wasn't an yeah. NFL star. He was an NFL player because he was player, the top one thousand wide receivers. Like the guy, the guy yeah. made it to the NFL. Good for him. But he, I mean, nobody knows who that, that guy was about is. It. That was about it. Sure. He's probably third string. <laughs> <laughs> and see, for the girls for level one, they would threaten to send us there for anything. Like we could twitch our nose funny because. We have dust on our face, and they tell us we had an attitude and that we're going to go to level one if we keep it up. Yeah. Like, there was no stack of that would land you in level one. Wow. Another thing that Deanna told me before she had passed away, like, one or two weeks later, 
was that um, there was this girl there. Her name was Bianca, and she couldn't have been more than 110, 120 pounds. And she punched Tyree. I mean, she did punch him. But instead of restraining her, Tyree, the NFL football player, punched her in her head. So he basically treated it as eye for an eye. For I mean, if yeah. I, I mean, if I'm being candid, I could have restrained this girl. And this guy's a professional sure. athlete, but he Absolutely. decides to punch her in the head. That's that that was something an eyewitness told me. Deanna told me that that he did that, and that I found that I was shocked. I was like, wow, he's even worse yeah. than I thought he was. He would punch a girl, and she wasn't a big girl. She just wasn't. Like, the punch couldn't have hurt that bad. Getting punched in the face, I mean, it's, no. you, you don't like it, but it's its really not as bad as it seems. But getting punched by a professional athlete, I have no, never had that didn't. happen before, but I, 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 I no, sure wouldn't either. want to. Yeah, I wouldn't want to test it. See, I remember seeing Stan Jackson literally lift girls by their shirts against lockers, screaming in their faces. Yeah. Stan was the second worst, in my opinion. He, him, and Tyree—they were like—they were very close. They always spent time together. And Stan actually yeah. was the second staff member to put his hands on me. Um, Tyree was the first. He didn't beat me up, but he did grab me by my shirt, pull me into his face, and threaten to take me in the back. And his exact words is, I'm going to take you in the back and do something me and you are both going to regret if you don't give me that money. Because I snuck $400 into the facility because I was we, we were on the border of Missouri, and I had a plan uh-huh. to escape the place and get to St. Louis with that money uh, just to escape. No kidding. I don't blame you. Yeah. Right. How old were you so, when you were there? When I was there, when I first got there, I believe I was 14 years old. 14. That's kind of the, the average age, I guess, if you want, if you figured. But were you, was one of you telling me that, that at points that people stayed until they were 21? Yeah. So, yeah. What, what, Sammy, why don't you tell them the story about what they had, what they tried to do to you? Oh, okay. Um. So... My family tried to get me out very early on in my stay because they had read up about that accident with the two kids that tried to run away and one of them died and things just weren't adding up and no one would talk to my family. The communication had all but stopped. And when they demanded that I be released, the which keep in mind, I'm not court ordered to be there. I was parents sent. Yes. Um, when they demanded I be released, you're probably just defiant. Yeah, yeah, and so um, when they demanded I be released, the ranch essentially told them that if they tried to get me out before they decided I was done, then they would report my family to CPS, which is run by DHS in Arkansas, the same people that Sol was bribing. Um, Yep, they would report my family to CPS. CPS would then award custody of me to the ranch, and I'd be forced to remain there until I was 21. And so my family oh my kept working. Yeah, yeah, they were threatening them. They were blackmailing them. And what and was the reason that you would be there till you were 21? What was going to be their reasoning? Oh, I, I'm getting there. So <laughs> then about a month before my 18th birthday, five months into my stay, the ranch called up my mother. And my mother had legal custody of me. My grandparents had physical. 
And they called my mom behind my grandparents' back and were trying to convince her almost daily to file with the courts and have me declared incompetent. And they stated that their doctor, their psychiatrist, would testify to my incompetence. Wow. Mind, I was an all-A student. I was in honors classes, AP everything. I had held a job. I was I was a normal kid with the exception of severe trauma from a sexual assault. Yes. And they were trying to have me declared incompetent so they could keep me longer. Wow. That is my... And I think you're, you're not the exception. I think you're going to be more the rule. No. What happened with you? The, well, we have... As, Go ahead. Ryan and I have found so many people with similar stories where yes. they were supposed to start on one day, but then months and months and months go by, and they keep trying to keep them just a little longer, just a little longer. They're not ready yet, but they never defined what ready was. They're just not ready yet. We identified a pattern. I don't think there was a program there that got you out. I think what happened, because <clears throat> everybody I've spoken with, they either got out when they graduated or they got out because some sort of outside influence got them out, whether it be the courts or their own parents. Myself, I got out of there because my mom called and said he's ready to come home. She was tired of the place. She was tired of the poor communication. And they said, well, he's not ready. And she said, well, he's been there for 11 months. So if he's not ready, then you guys aren't doing something right. My situation was very similar, though, because my mom basically refused to give in. And I I genuinely believe that the fact the FBI was up their butt at that time was the only reason they let me go. Because my mom and my grandparents were calling daily and harassing these people. And what's also interesting, so I interviewed uh, a guy that was there for another FBI raid, and I believe it was 2012. The FBI didn't speak to the residents. All they did, I believe he said there was like 10 vans, 10 FBI vans that showed up early in the morning, and they were getting breakfast, so they saw the vans pull up. They went to the main office, and the only thing that the FBI did was they went into the office, and they took out boxes of inf- of uh, evidence, and they left. So they did So I suspect the reason they talked to the residents in 2006 was because right Right before I got there, an Alaska male had reported to DHS that he had been repeatedly sexually assaulted while at the ranch. And I think that they were looking into the treatment of the children at that time, whereas in 2012, they were looking into the money laundering. It seemed to be a pattern because there was no rhyme or reason. Um, If you looked at their websites, I actually have archived copies. Um, they would state that they had two different programs, but everyone did the same thing. There were no separations of programs. There was no difference in your treatment. Like, everybody did the same thing. Yeah, they, um, they showed no discretion to people with, there were there was a girl there who had braces, and they wouldn't take her in to get them tightened. Samantha's family sent her a certain type of shampoo, or, or they had to send her her own shampoo because the stuff that they bought she was allergic to. Uh-huh. And, had, and one of the staff members actually held her in a headlock or whatever and washed her hair with the shampoo. Oh, I can tell you that story. Yeah, um, she has, um, uh, and just so you know, Sammy, she has to go in like 10 minutes, though. But uh, okay. yeah, go ahead and tell her. 
So my family, they would allow us to leave money on an account so that they could buy us yeah. like our incidentals, like if we wanted a specific shampoo or deodorant. And I ran out of what I brought with me. And I have some kind of weird skin reaction to suave. There's something in it. I will welt and turn bright red and it burns and itches. And so I told the staff members, I was like, hey, can you get me more shampoo on the next shopping day? My family left money on an account. This is the kind I use. And they're like, we'll see. And then they come back after shopping day and they didn't have my shampoo and told me that it was too much of a hassle and that I'm going to have to deal with what they have. And I told them, I was like, I can't use it. And they're like, well, you're going to have to. I even, I even tried to negotiate, like, can I use dish soap, something? They wouldn't let me. They were threatening to watch me shower to verify that I had actually used shampoo. And I refused. I told them I'm not going to because I quit washing my hair. And Uh so Jan Curtis and another staff member, I cannot remember her name for the life of me. Um, I think it was like Jessica or Jamie or something. Anyway, they pulled me over to the sink. Like we came in the house and they told me, have you been washing your hair? I was like, no, I told you. They dragged me to the sink. They washed my hair. It's been all over my face because I'm trying to fight them and get out of the water. Sure. And finally, they're done. And I sit down, and I'm being scolded the entire time about hygiene is just a part of life. And if you can't even commit to personal hygiene, you're not ready to leave. You're going to be here forever. And I'm welting as I'm being yelled at. I am welting and turning red. You can just see streaks of red all over me everywhere the soap touched. And Jan told me that I was only welting because I was working myself up. Oh, my God. I was crying and hyperventilating. I basically got waterboarded over there, you know? You did it, basically. You did. Yep. And I was apparently making up an allergic reaction they could physically see. Uh, (laughs) That just blows my mind. Like, uh, and they never I, gave my family the money back. Like, they never gave them the money on my account back, even though they never used it on me. Oh, I'm I never sure got that. Four, I never got that four hundred dollars back that Tyree took for me either. Oh wow! I just, I guess I. I mean, after seeing after seeing that documentary, I was mentioning this is like all the same kind of things, and it just. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I've taken notes. I'm going to, basically, I'm just adding this to what I've got. And I'm going to print out everything I can find that I have. I want to send yeah. you all my stories that I ran, that I ran on Linda Collins and the whole. Okay. I mean, I ran every single story from day one. So I have lots of stuff with that and I will send you those. I mean, there may be something you can use. There may not. Who knows? It'd be great. And- how about, how about you come up with questions for us, too? Because I am sure Ryan and I can answer a lot of questions. You probably yes, have. that's a great and idea. This, this is a tip of the iceberg. I'm telling you, there's yeah, really. a lot that went on it at is. that place. You can't cram it all into a session like, you know, an hour and minutes. Oh, and I don't minutes. want to. You can't cram I'm... it all in. There's no. so much to tell about this place. And, like, when they had a mentally handicapped person perform an exorcism on me. And the what? staff member... Yes. Oh, I got one too. We both did. You got we both got, we, I got extras. And he, the guy was mentally handicapped. The staff member, I blocked this kid from because he's a big kid. I blocked the door 
So this kid couldn't come in there. I blocked the bathroom door because I got away. He's coming at me and he's saying all this weird scripture. He's holding his hands out like he's Wanda from the Avengers. And I, I, ru- I run I'm off. I'm sorry. Into I'm a- not laughing at your, your situation. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I tra- I'm trying. I, I didn't mean for that. To I'm, I'm trying to lighten the mood that when I. It's when funny I in retrospect. Like <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> lots of respect. Yeah, so. But I, I, I ran away from him and I was like, forget this. And I closed the bathroom door and I'm holding it. And I have my foot wedged against the wall. So basically, there shouldn't be any way he can overpower me because he doesn't have any leverage on his side, whereas I do. Well, the door, my body starts to crumple in on itself from just the pressure on the door. And I was like, how is he this strong? Well, as it turned out, there was a staff member. He was like 6'4", 6'8". He was our staff member. His name was David Land. And he helped Glenn open the door. He had his forearm. He's driving his forearm into the door. So they were both pushing. And that's how they got in. So I back off. And then Glenn, I'm basically cornered. To the left of me is the shower. To the right of me is the sink and the the mirror. And I'm up against the wall in this little, you know, between the two. And I can't really move anywhere. So he comes up. He puts his head or his hand on my head. He starts saying all this, you know, he's like kind of speaking in tongues and saying uh, different, you know, different things and, you know, uh, scriptures and whatnot. And uh, and I, I, I panicked and I just started hitting him. That's all I needed to do. So so, no I, so I started punching him in the face. I'm punching him. I'm punching him. I'm, I'm punching him. And it's not affecting him. He's not stopping. So finally, I just after I was done with that, I just said, OK, Glenn. It's me, Ryan. The demons are out of me. Then <laughs> he stops. He backs up. He's catching his breath because of the scuffle. He goes, okay, all right. And then I walk by David Land, who was hyperventilating in the doorway while this is happening because he thinks me screaming is a demon screaming. I looked at him, and I was like, I can't believe you believe that shit. And I just walked away That's from so him. funny. Yeah, I know, right? It was, it was ridiculous. I don't want... I'm not laughing at your situation. No, no, I, I no. Promise. It is funny. It's it's funny how naive they were, you know. And but but even somebody with that kind of naivete had to realize after how it ended that no, he was that that it was just pure delusion, and <laughs> and we never they never talked about it again. I told the night staff that came in. I said, "Can you make sure Glenn stays away from my room? I cannot have that guy performing exorcisms on me in the middle of the night." And the staff member said, that'll be the night staff. He's like, that'll be my number one prerogative. Because they would have night staff that would come in. they shine flashlights and make sure we didn't run away or anything. And uh, anyway, so yeah, the, the night staff had, uh, okay. said he would keep an eye on it. But Glenn never tried anything else. He just went to bed. And, okay. But yeah, that was... Mine, mine was and different. We actually both mine was Alaskans. way different. We were both Alaskans, by the way. So... <laughs> Uh, so, I know you said you never found Alaskans. There was no, but, uh, but you little Eskimos get exercised. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what. Well, I, I can put you in touch with several Alaskans because I've kept, I, I've kept, I've actually interviewed a couple of them too. So that's, yeah, so that wouldn't be a problem. I would and, love to pull to, to to do a paper trail on the funding and see if if they were actually if they were actually uh, getting the money and applying it to you all from Alaska or if they were just keeping it. That'd be very interesting to find out. I know they were donating yeah. money to Huckabee's campaign after Huckabee changed things to where they were getting a lot more in funding. 
So. Yeah. Did, did you tell her about the letter we sent to Alaska back in May? Uh, which letter? I'm trying to remember. When we emailed DHSS about records for the contract with the ranch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Go ahead. Okay, so we decided to ask DHSS in Alaska, which is our version of DHS, um, about their contract history with the ranch, because I knew that they had suspended referrals on two different occasions. And when I contacted them, I was like, hey, tell me about this contract. Why did it last? Why did it end? They informed me that the ranch never had a contract with the state of Alaska. They were an enrolled provider. And this basically meant that the state of Alaska accepted their licensure in Arkansas as enough evidence to accept Medicaid payments from the state of Alaska. And the issue there is that DHS is in charge of licensure. DHS that Seoul was also bribing. And the state of Alaska did not verify any safety concerns or even that the facility met state standards before allowing them to accept children. They never laid an eye on that place. They just saw they were licensed. They never laid an yeah. eye on the property. They didn't talk to, you know, people who were there. They didn't look at anything. They just saw, oh, you're licensed? Good to go. I was so blown away. I, I even wrote back thinking I must be understanding this wrong. And I was like, can you confirm to me that you are saying that no Alaskan agent or entity ever inspected this place or verified it met standards or verified safety of the facility? And she said, yes, that is correct. Well. And she has those screenshots. She has all that saved. And I can guarantee you there's the same with other sites, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. Well, we want, that's part of what our plan, our ultimate goal is to enact safeties for children who are going to places like this. Because we, yes. we're well aware we're not the only ones. We're well aware that this this is this kind of stuff is happening all over the country. There Absolutely. Need, and there and needs to be more oversight. Facility. It's not the only yeah, exactly. No. I mean they had Utah and I don't know if you've heard about Paris Hilton. She's usually never good news, but she's actually never. come she's she's coming forward and she was in a, a facility in Utah growing up and she's spreading awareness about what she went through when she was in that facility and it was abusive and whatnot. And uh and so yeah, I mean, there, I mean, this we're we're at a time right now where everybody in the world is connected through the internet, and we're able sure. to spread the word, and that's what we're trying to do right now, and we're hoping to make a change. And we uh, and I will do with you all one hundred and fifty percent to help you any way I can here locally. You know, need to drive out there and take pictures, and you know whatever I need to do to to connect things as a media source. Uh, through Freedom of Information Act requests for agencies. I'm, all, I'm really, really trying to get the information on the uh, raid, from the FBI raid. Now, would that be for from the FBI, or would that be from somewhere else, uh, somebody locally, or how does that work? At the state level and state police, and so we're going to see about getting, see if we can get those records, too. I records actually put, it, I, I put a FOIA request in. Or to the 2006 raid because I want, and I specifically asked for the uh, search warrant if there was one, and for the transcripts of the interviews that they I, that took place that day, yes. where they would probably you know redact the names, but you know I, I don't need the names. I just want to know what if if any of the kids said stuff like Sam did. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I told him everything. I didn't sugarcoat any of it. And I looked at the plane. Yeah. I was like, get me out of here. I don't mind you. One bit. But I was lucky the facility I was in was in Batesville, Arkansas, and it was a lot. It was a co-ed facility, and really the only reason I was there is because I was not a very good kid, and I just dealt with a lot of stuff with my dad. But I was only there for like six months, and it was, it was kind of like that, but it wasn't a religious-based one. I mean, it was more activity-based, like physical stuff to keep you busy mm-hmm. while you're there. See, that's something. That's something the ranch promoted in their marketing materials. You would go take care of horses, the animals, do this whole farm life. I saw uh-huh. the horses uh-huh. once in six months. Uh-huh. That was it. Wow. I yeah, was that actually, was the yeah, primary. I was, actually, I was actually okay with that part. I, I, I didn't really care for horses. They took me <laughs> I wanted to ride the horses. I rode you a did, horse. Well, I, don't ride I rode the biggest. The they put me on the biggest horse that they had, and then this horse fly started biting it, and then the horse tried to buck me off while we're on this trail, and I'm on a slant. I was, I was like, I don't want to do this. Probably because of that demon on you. Because <laughs> what? <laughs> Probably because of that demon that you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell. Don't tell Glenn about the horse situation. They know. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to get out here and cheer for, for get her from cheer. Uh, yeah, text me anytime. You both have my cell phone number, and I'm taking notes. I'm gonna send some boyas out tomorrow and try to dig up some stuff that that I think I might be able to get now. Okay. If you need, if you need anything else from us, just let us know, and uh, we'll be sure to contact you if we have any questions. But yeah, if you okay. have more questions or if there's anything, any dots you need connected. Uh, yeah, and I'll start thinking about some things that I maybe when I look through my notes that I didn't think about. A lot of the questions are things you guys answered in like curled my hair today because I had you know like I had the the administrative end and the funding end of it, but I had no idea about the other part. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't know if y'all knew about the funding. You are. I feel like I am from Arkansas, y'all. I grew up, or I used to live in the Midwest. I lived in uh, St. Louis until I was like 11. And so I, oh, and, yeah. yeah. So I have family with the y'all and all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of family in St. Louis also. Well, it was, it's a pleasure meeting you both. And Likewise. like I said, we'll work together. And anything I can do to help, I will be more than very happy to do it. Thank you so much. Awesome, Jamie. that sounds great. This is, it's You're welcome. Talking to you and it, yeah. you as well. You keep my keep my cell phone number and just text you anytime you need to. You got it. Okay, if, y'all have a great evening. If you need any resources, any uh, anybody else you want to talk to for information, uh, especially that girl. Did you watch my videos, by the way, that I posted on our page? No, I haven't watched them yet. I haven't saved. I've got the video saved though, because I like bookmarked them. You should watch so those. Watch. And there's a girl named Jamie, and I, I I wanted to keep it under two minutes and twenty seconds, but there uh-huh. is a lot more to her story than what I have in that video. She'd be oh, somebody yeah, that you would want to talk to, and I could probably put you in touch with her. Um, so, just a heads up. But uh, anyway, well, I don't want to keep you. You're fine. Instead of watching TikToks at night, I watch that. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to the TikTok queen over here. She has like forty thousand followers. So, <laughs> oh, I'll have to, I'll have to find her and watch her <laughs> <laughs> All righty, cool. It's good talking you to you. You'll have a great evening. You too. Uh, bye bye. All right, bye bye. Bye bye, Sammy. I said bye bye. Have a good evening. <laughs> bye bye.
If you or a friend have had a personal experience with the Lord's Ranch slash Trinity Behavioral Health or have any tips concerning the facility, please feel free to reach out to us by messaging us on our Facebook. You can find us at the account named What Really Happened at the Lord's Ranch. We'd like to thank each and every one of our listeners for finally giving us a chance to tell our side of the story without being called liars, except for people with fake accounts. Thank you. We'd like to thank Justin Andrus Sr., a.k.a. Crew L.A., Black Tuba, for all the music he made on this podcast. He's talented, so if you want to reach out to him, we'll put a link to his social media in the description box. We'd also like to thank Gnostic Concepts for their original artwork and animations. Their commissions page is open to an array of requests, ranging from original character concepts to detailed wide-scale scenery. So if you're interested in receiving a service from them, a link to their social media will be provided in the description box as well. For everybody who took time out of their day to help make this podcast a reality, we want to thank all of you. Without each and every one of you, none of this would be possible. Let justice be served, though the heavens may fall. It's never too late to right another wrong. We'd also like to dedicate this podcast to Deanna Fields. Rest easy, D. You'll always be missed and never be forgotten.